And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott, and today you're going to hear me at the Refresh Connect Summit, where I spoke about crafting a compelling narrative for your business and your brand. Hope you enjoy. Today we have with us Scott Douglas Clary who's the head of advanced strategy and growth at Grass Valley. Scott is also a member of the Forbes Business Development Council, and he's a founder of ROI Overload. And I keep introducing Scott for more than five minutes, but let me stop here. Welcome to Refresh Connect, Scott. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It's wonderful. Today, we're going to be discussing about a very interesting topic, how do you craft a humbling narrative for your business? Scott, let's start with the why of things. Why do companies have a compelling narrative? That's a great point. So I think that this is something that a lot of companies struggle with, especially earlier stage companies and also some later stage companies. The narrative is going to be an extension of what the founder of the company believes in and what they want to bring to the world. So normally when you're an early stage company and you're selling your first product as a founder CEO, you're the one who is selling the actual product. You're the one who's the evangelist for the product. Now to get other people to believe and feel the trust and emotion and enthusiasm that you have for a product, um, you have to create a narrative and that narrative has to guide the messaging that your company is bringing to the world across all aspects of the company. So it can be uh, the messaging and the tone of your sales reps, uh, your content that you're putting out on the social media, literally everything that's going to drive how your company acts towards its customers, as well as internally with the with the company culture and whatnot. So to craft that narrative and to build a brand around that narrative is very important. And that can even go as far like as far as the tone or the words that your company likes to use when they go out into the world and when they speak with customers. So having that narrative and that origin story that really drives emotion in both uh, your potential customers and clients as well as turning people within your own company into evangelists for your company, all rests on everybody having that goal congruence and shared purpose. And that's why the narrative is so important. So it can evolve over time. I don't think a narrative is something that's set in stone, but if you don't have a vision and you don't have a narrative as to why you're doing what you're doing as a founder CEO, as you, as your company grows, you have to realize that nobody else is inside your head. So you have this vision about why you want to take your company to market, why you want to take your product to market, and this incredible idea, but you have to find a way to codify that um, so that it sort of uh, basically is across your entire organization. 
Does that does that sort of make sense as to why yeah, you, yeah. you need the narrative? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So Scott, uh, just a follow up question to this: How can companies find which narratives fit them? Uh, yeah, so that's a really good point as well, and this sort of speaks to um, why it's important to have a narrative and why a narrative is never set in stone. So the narrative that speaks to your company, um, it's something that has to evolve through uh, first when you take your product to market, you're selling to your first 50 customers and you're finding product market fit. That's always my suggestion. So to sort of provide some context, whenever somebody's, and we're starting very early stage, but this is sort of like the evolution. Um, so when you first launch a product, I always suggest that the founder CEO go sells uh, the first 50 of that widget to their market. They find some sort of product market fit and then you're gonna start crafting a narrative that's gonna generate more demand based on the ideal customer profile, target customer profile that you found in that first 50 set of customers. So that would be your uh, initial narrative. So the narrative is including um, your buyer personas, uh, the messaging, uh, the channels, and the ideal customer profile. It should also include uh, industry, um, size of company, amount of employees, depending on how, how sort of deep into the weeds and, and how, uh, how much you want to really define it. Um, that's how you build out your narrative. So the narrative, it's never going to be like, a, you know, for companies, this should be the way they build their narrative in terms of the messaging. The messaging depends on what product, what industry, um, how you, how you want to bring that to your customers. But the point is not so much to have like a, it's not important to sort of go online and Google what's a great narrative for a company. It's more important to make sure that you, you know, you have to build one and then look internally within your own organization to build that narrative. So um, it's, again, it's not like a blanket, uh, a blanket narrative that can be used for any company, but you do have to know that to build it, you have to define all aspects of your initial customer set and then use that to go forward. Now, as a company grows, um, it also is still important to sort of iterate and build on that narrative. And what that looks like is uh, obviously, you know, as your product and your portfolio expands, you are going out and you're speaking to your customers and you're understanding why your customers are buying. You can be conducting surveys, you can have somebody who's in charge of customer success, and you're actually going out and you're interviewing customers. And customers are gonna be telling you why they're buying. This is a very strong sales technique and marketing technique, but it sort of doubles down on narrative. So as customers tell you why they're buying, and they're telling you, I bought the product because of this feature, and I bought the product because of that feature. Now you know what's important to customers, even the ones that bought, you may have thrown a whole bunch of feature sets at them, but they're telling you exactly why they chose to buy it, and then you're using that verbiage, the verbatim, and you can use that to build out your own messaging and your own narrative and keep iterating. And as you continue to grow, you're always keeping that line of communication open with your customers to make sure that the narrative of the company and the narrative that you put out into the world and the marketing and the messaging is directly in line with why your customers are buying. And I, you know, it seems so simple. Like it makes so much sense. Like, you know, we have to make sure we're selling the way our customers are buying, but I don't see a ton of companies making a concerted effort at doing that and doing it effectively. Um, I don't think, you know, if you, even, even how customers buy, for example, to show you, why this process of customer feedback, this customer feedback loop is so broken. Um, the traditional sales cycle is, you know, you're doing your, your prospecting, uh, your discovery, your qualification, uh, and then you're gonna do, uh, you, you present the proposal, you negotiate, you take it to close. There's no customers in the world 
that want to be prospected, that want to be discovered, that want to be qualified. So even the traditional sales cycle shows how broken that line of communication is with customers. So sales cycle is broken and it doesn't fall in line with how customers want to buy. The branding and the messaging is broken and it doesn't fall in line with how the customers interpret the, the benefits of your product. So all these things rely on speaking with the customers and making sure that as you grow as a company, you don't grow too large that you never want to or don't see the value in communicating with your customers and using your customers' decisions to drive your business forward because ultimately that will make you successful. So that is why uh, narrative is so important um, because it bleeds into so many other aspects of the business. So Scott, how do you get this narrative to the market? So we, uh, we do build up on the first narrative with the help of customers, but from then on, how do you take this to the market? Would you suggest something like building a campaign around it or how would you go about doing it? So when you're taking a narrative to the market, um, there, this, this sort of falls into uh, the marketing spectrum to start and then eventually it'll, it'll bleed over into sales. But when I take a narrative to market through a marketing team, that means that all like right if you want to talk granular like all the social posts that are going out on like twitter facebook linkedin instagram all the um white papers that you're creating all the email campaigns um all the explainer videos like very very tactical things these are all tying back to the narrative that your company has decided on so for example the company has decided um that our software is solving this problem with the customer and this is why we're solving it and this is what led us to decide this was a problem that we wanted to tackle. So literally everything that you're putting out into the world is falling back onto that narrative. So all the, all the actual tangible marketing items and then to take it a step further, so that's how you would initially push the messaging out. To take it a step further, when we talk about um, marketing and sales alignment, so now we have all the marketing messaging, all the marketing collateral that is, is being broadcast out into the world in every single aspect of what marketing is. So, you know, in some industries, it could even be like print mailers. It doesn't, you know, there's so many different ways, but we always think of marketing as digital marketing just because we work in software, we work in tech, but there's a lot of other industries that still rely on, on actual physical marketing trade shows that kind of thing um and you know now we're doing more remote but still that whole that all the all, the whole gamut of marketing activities that that has to sort of come from your narrative now uh how to incorporate sales into that well when your sales reps are selling um the the pdfs that they're sending customers the videos they're sending customers the conversations that they're having with customers all of these all of these items are in line with the narrative that marketing already put out so when you are um, of course if you're jumping on a discovery call and you're asking all these questions you're trying to learn about your customer as a sales rep but you're also keeping in the back of them of your mind because you're confident in the narrative and the pain point that you're solving that this is something that's going to come up in that conversation and you're going to position the product in a certain way that you're the subject matter expert and you're solving for the problem that all the marketing collateral is preaching about across all the other, all the other, um, all the other channels, right? So you want to make sure that your sales, your sales pitch, your, you know, I don't like the term elevator pitch, but your elevator pitch per se, when your sales reps are speaking with customers 
is in line with that narrative and the marketing collateral and the, the copy on the website so that across the entire commercial organization, um, outward facing to the customer, everybody has the same message. And that's a very strong, that's a very strong play for a company because how often have you seen um, or, or experienced when a company is advertising one thing on their website or on their social media and a sales rep is, is positioning it a different way or talking about different features, that kind of misalignment, it definitely kills the trust. So that's how you take it to market. You make sure that it's going out across all your channels, but the, the missing piece is definitely to have that sales alignment when you take it to your customers, because that's just as important. And I think, I don't want to spend too long on this, and I have a whole bunch of questions you want to get through, but what's very important is the sales process is no longer linear. So how the sales process used to function is you would have, uh, you would have uh, an inbound lead that would turn into a marketing qualified lead that would be passed over to sales and sales would walk it through the sales cycle eventually through to close. Customers don't function that way anymore because they have access to internet. And um, you can pull, you can look at a variety of stats, like it can be anywhere as low as, you know, like 30, 40% upwards of 60, 70%. That number is the amount of, of, of energy or, or the, the, the time that the buyer has already gotten into the buying cycle or done the discovery or done the research or the amount of information that the buyer has actually accumulated, which will influence their purchasing decision before they even get on the phone with a sales rep. So say they've done 70% of the research, they have 70% of the knowledge. Um, when they're getting on the phone with that sales rep, they kind of already have a really good idea. So the sales process is now no longer linear in the sense that the customer is consuming marketing material. They're speaking to sales. After they get off the phone with sales, they're going back on the website. They're going to take a look at the company's Twitter. They're going to take a look at the emails. They're going to get back on the phone with sales. And, and it's like this like circular, almost this, this, it's like this back and forth between all the sales and marketing and commercial properties that a customer has. And that's how customers buy in 2020. And, and if you have a marketing process that is very linear and you feel like um, after you pass off a lead to sales, it doesn't really matter what sales says because that customer is farther down and they're no longer in the marketing sphere, you're incorrect because the customer has access to internet. So you always have to make sure that the entire commercial organization lines up. Yeah, that's understandable that marketing and sales aren't very different now. They'll have to work where together very connected. Yeah. 100%, yeah, yeah. So uh, Scott, you were also telling about how sales and marketing could take uh, a narrative to the market. Now, reversing roles, how do you think a great narrative should be leveraged by sales and marketing teams? How can it be leveraged? Well, I think um, this takes us back to why people like buying from a CEO or a founder. And it's, uh, this is a great point. So let's talk about evangelism. So a big proponent of evangelism is Guy Kawasaki. Now, Guy Kawasaki is the chief evangelist for Canva. And I've had, I've fortunately had the chance to speak to him. And I asked him, what does that mean? Because evangelism, um, he educated me. He said evangelism comes from, uh, it's, it's a, I can't remember the, the, the culture, but it's a term that means to bear of good news, to bring good news. And it's very easy for a CEO to be an evangelist because they believe so much in their company. But how do you turn the entire organization into evangelists for a product because we know that uh, in most companies we speak to the SDR 
or uh, you know the 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 accountant and finance is not evangelizing a company. They're just doing their job day in day out, and for them, it may they may not be passionate about where they work. So, I think what a narrative allows us to do is it allows us to take the CEO's enthusiasm and and the ability to evangelize a company, and it allows us to take that passion across the entire organization. And I mentioned. Um, I mentioned Guy Kawasaki and Canva because that's something that he has worked on with Canva to make sure that if you speak to anybody in Canva, um, they will be an evangelist for Canva. They won't just be somebody doing a job. And obviously that takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of um, work on the culture of the company to make sure, but it also takes, it also to get that it's more than just culture because you can have a great culture and you can have a fun culture, you have a startup culture, you can have a culture full of, um, people that want to grow professionally, that are uh, committed, that are intelligent, that are you know putting in all this effort and work. But if they don't understand the narrative of why they're doing what they're doing, and it's not defined and it's not meaningful to them, how do you expect them to bring a meaningful narrative to their customer? So that narrative can basically mobilize your internal organization and turn everybody from just an employee into an evangelist who's actually promoting your company, even if, for example, they're not in the office nine to five. So the, the way I see an evangelist is somebody that on their social media, they choose to speak about their company because they love the mission that their company is aligned with. They're gonna be speaking about it after hours with their friends or family just because they're so into what their company is. And that's how I think that a strong narrative can drive that kind of evangelism for a company and obviously imagine if you can mobilize your entire team to always be speaking about what you're doing that's incredibly powerful as as a, as a basically as a commercialization technique right um just speaking about all those voices going out and speaking about the good things your company is doing that's going to get a lot of people interested drive a lot of eyeballs and obviously that's going to turn into like actual revenue and business growth so so yeah that was an excellent example of fascinating narratives and how you use them or how you have the employees evangelize for it that is great yeah yeah i think it's very important i think it's hard to do i think it's very hard to do because like just from personal experience um i've worked in companies almost almost all companies i've worked in don't do a great job at it right i think there's still a true lack of of transparency and narrative that is and the narrative is more like when we speak of narrative it's more than just like the the points that are listed on a website I think that companies have to put a more considered effort into being transparent, making sure that the employees understand the goals of the company, because you can have a strong narrative, but if the employees don't trust the CEO and the executive team, they're not going to evangelize. But if they feel like you're all on the same level and there is that strong narrative in play, that's when they're going to go to back to your company. That's when you're going to get employees that want to stay with the company, even though we know in the tightest job market uh, in, in recent history, they could easily go get a job somewhere else, right? So you want to provide that, you want to provide more than just a salary. You want to provide a purpose for companies. And there's other things you want to provide, like you want to provide growth opportunities and all these other things that are very good to have to, to maintain really great quality talent. But on top of, on top of the, you know, all the extracurriculars and whatnot, you want to make sure that they are aligned with your, with your company's uh, mission. So Scott, uh, let us slightly move away towards uh, sales. So this is one question that uh, I've always wanted to ask a lot of sales and marketing leaders and a lot of leaders have been speaking about that as well. 
So uh, technology has been changing things. It's been sweeping transformations, but how do you think technology is going to create new things in sales or what do you see coming new in sales because of changes in technology? Yeah, sure. And there's a lot. Um, so let's, let's speak high level. And then if you want to go into anything deeper, so technologies that are going to impact sales. So, uh, first let's speak with social, speak about social selling. So the access to social media and the ability for anyone to truly create content at scale, um, can turn anyone into, I hate, like, I don't get me wrong. I hate the term influencer, but an influencer within their industry. So I think that to, um, to be competitive in today's environment, you obviously are going to have the company that is doing inbound initiatives and helping facilitate their sales reps to do outbound initiatives. But if you want to take it a step further, I'm a big fan of sales reps uh, building out their online presence to social sell. Um, to give you an example of this that I've done myself, um, like I, I brand all of my social right now as business oriented. And it's not always specific to my company. Like my day job is, is focused on SaaS for broadcast and media. But a lot of the content I put out is, is just, I would say, I would say about 80% of the content I put out is just really great best practice in sales and marketing and something that I know and I love. Um, if you are an accountant, if you are an SDR, if you're an AE, if you are uh, a content marketer, if you uh, write website copy, there is a group of individuals that are going to align with what you love and what you do. Also, simultaneously, you should be putting out content that is going to help build your audience that is sort of useful for, the, for, your, for your business unit at large, but, but you should also be putting out content that helps promote um, what you're doing. Uh, so again, evangelizing. But I think that anybody can be a social seller, can build an online community, and to uh, ignore the free access to like thousands and millions of impressions that we have available is really just naive and I think kind of lazy. I think if you aren't learning how to build some sort of online social presence for your professional brand, I think that you're really hurting because that can help with, for example, how you found me for this conference. Um, I run a podcast on the side, uh, and that's helped me attract incredible guests. Um, if I, you know, right now, if I wanted to, um, I'm not, I, I don't, I love what I do now, but if I wanted to find some new work, I have opportunities coming to me all the time because I built out. And, and the thing is, how do you get, what is sales? Sales is trust, right? So your customer has to trust you. Always remember that in sales, um, Customers always buy with emotion and justify with logic. So if they don't trust you, it doesn't matter if you're the lowest cost or the, or the best features, they're not going to buy from you. But what a customer will do if they trust you is they'll find logical ways to rationalize the purchase. So how do you build trust? Well, traditionally, and this is actually going to go into some, the next point that I want to bring up. How do you build trust? So traditionally, uh, you know, you meet the person, you build a relationship. Well, we're increasingly doing business on a global scale. We're, we're required to make more money, make more connections, do more activities. Um, and like, it's very hard to keep up with the requirements of growing business that are trying to you know, 10x, 100x their investors' money. In some cases, it depends on the industry. Um, but we need, to be, we need to be able to build relationships without always stepping into somebody's office and shaking their hand, especially now with like with the health concerns that we're, 
sort of living through everyone's so remote. So how do you do that? Well, you can do the you can do the conferences and whatnot, but that still is difficult to get that foot in the door to the point where you're allowed to ask somebody to jump on a Zoom call or whatever. Um, so if you are constantly putting out content that's great content that shows your knowledge and shows your expertise, and it really basically puts things out there that people are always consuming they're building levels of trust with you before they even interact with you. So they're consuming your content. They're understanding that what you're putting out, now they're understanding that like what you know, like you're putting stuff about sales, you're putting stuff about marketing, you're putting stuff about whatever industry you're in. Now you're becoming a trusted advisor in that space before they even have ever had a chance to speak with you in person. So by the time you, you jump on that Zoom call, they've consumed hours of your content. And I, you know, there's, there's psychological drivers that, that actually dictate how many hours of content uh, or a, co a customer has to consume from a company or an individual before they buy. And it, it averages out at about seven hours of content before they feel comfortable, trust the company and buy. So imagine the ability we have with social media um, as individuals, as individual sellers, not just companies, like companies like are for sure they should be doing this, but even some companies aren't. But as, as, as individual sellers, the ability to fast track um, that relationship without even having to jump on a call. So by the time you jump on a call, they already know and they trust who you are. And then you can take that and you can increase the sales velocity of the deal or whatever outcome you'd like to have happen from that conversation. Um, so that's one way that I really think sales is changing the ability to build a presence online and connect and build trust online. The second thing that we're also seeing is what we're doing now. So that ability to properly do remote remote interactions and build that level of trust remotely so um zoom is incredibly popular uh you know there's a whole bunch of them there's like there's skype uh, there's global meet there's webex uh, there's google hangouts it doesn't matter what you use you have to be able to know the technology um, and you have to be able to work remote and especially now with the health concerns that's big everyone's working from home but not just that people um, are always connected always on you have a a younger workforce that wants to, and they're still effective, but they don't always want to have to go to the office. Um, they want to be a little bit more free in how they work and how they collaborate with their team. So the ability to work remotely and use those remote work tools, video being a very important one, because if you're not seeing the person, it's very hard to build a connection remotely. Uh, obviously the epitome of, of building relationships is seeing the person face to face, but if you can't, um, I'd say that video is still very, very important for that. If you never have any like, you know, in-person uh, interaction, um, but they have to be comfortable. Companies have to be comfortable using all these tools. Individuals have to be comfortable using all these tools um, because again, like I said, like this workforce is evolving. Um, and also for companies, it lowers all these hard costs associated with having physical locations. Um, it opens up hiring opportunities to global regions that if you were just a regional office, now you can hire talent, um, diverse talent across the globe. Uh, because now you've enabled your workforce to work remote. And I think the direction we're going in, in, in all honesty, if you want to take it a step further, beyond just um, you know uh, remote remote work tools, because there's so many. We talked about video, but there's so many remote work tools like you know Slack, different messengers, um, uh, like uh, like basically anything to collaborate a team like Monday, uh, Jira, Confluence, um, like Trello, like all these different tools to allow people to collaborate in office or remote, it doesn't really matter. Um, but now I think the future of work will be like all these augmented reality interactions as well. And that's where I see sales going. So I don't see 
I don't see many offices or many companies really requiring uh, physical offices except for maybe social interaction in the future. I really do see augmented reality to be something that is very prevalent in sales and just business in general. So the ability to have authentic interactions without all of the, the costs associated, the time associated with really where we're going to end up. Um, and we're not obviously there yet, like, but I think that to adopt all these new technologies, that's how we sort of start positioning ourselves for where the future of work, future of business, future of sales is going. Yeah. Yeah. And it is very clear that social selling is more relevant than ever before. Of course. Yeah, 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 definitely. You have to, you have to be, you have to be knowledgeable at least. So maybe you aren't comfortable. A lot of people get very hesitant about putting out content. I understand that. But trust that if you know what you if you know what you do and you put out content about an item or a, a passion that you have and it's professional in nature, that will be well, well received. And if you do that at scale continuously, then you will build a following that gravitates towards whatever you know and whatever you're putting out. So I think that you have to get over the technology inhibitor. Like we can all learn. There's no reason not to learn. Get over. Um, I guess the, the, the mental inhibition of putting out content and you don't have to be putting out video every day. If you don't feel comfortable, you can just be writing really great text posts, for example. And that would be something that would uh, elevate you. And, and even in 2020, it would separate you from quite a few people. Like if we look at uh, the largest professional network LinkedIn, which I think is that like, I don't know, 600 million people, like correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we can do a fact check later, but it's something like 1% of people on LinkedIn, are actually publishing content. That's incredible because LinkedIn, you literally have access to, I'm sure if I look at stats, like over 50% of the decision makers within organizations. Like why are not more people leveraging that? And I think that right now, um, if you're listening to this or if you're getting started in your career and, and you're aware of these opportunities of these massive social networks that can be focused on professional uh, like LinkedIn or not, um, you can still start now and you can be massively successful by, you know, like if you, if you've put out content for the past 10 years, you're going to have a very healthy user base following that trusts what you do. And the opportunities that come from that are truly exponential. It was a lot of insights within a short span of time, Scott. It was great hosting you and thanks for being a part of Refresh Connect. Thank you very much for inviting me. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. It's a, it's a great initiative and, uh, and uh, hopefully this uh, grows and grows and I'm sure it will in the future. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. 
There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours? That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. 
That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 